a word of prayer. So again, it's really good to see you guys. It is a privilege and a joy to be here. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings that you pour on our lives. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your truth, your spirit, your hope, your joy, your peace, your love, your patience, your kindness, all of those wonderful gifts that you just pour on our lives undeservedly, and we thank you for that. Your grace is truly amazing. And Lord, you do know each and every one of us in this room. There's not a single one of us in this room, including myself, that is not struggling with some form of sin. Uh, And we need you. We need your truth uh, and the power of your spirit uh, to crucify our flesh and to help us to walk in your spirit uh, and not in our wills and desires. And so tonight, as we seek to know you better, I pray, Holy Spirit, that this room will belong to you and that you will open our hearts and our eyes, our minds and our lives and truths to these, uh, our lives to these truths. I pray you will help us to receive them and to believe them. And I pray you will give us the strength and the willingness to walk in these truths as well and to share these truths with others. Um, So be with this house. Please let your peace rest heavy here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the book of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. How uh, how many of you in this room have a King James, are reading out of a King James Bible? New King James. New King James. Oh. King James, all right. King James, all right. I got two King James up here in the front. All right, so what I, uh, what, I'm not sure what your name is, sir, in the green shirt. What's your name? Sean. Sean. I'm going to get you to re- stand up and read for us. And then I need somebody who has got a newer version, an NIV. Uh, NA, all right, Miss Alford, you can you can read for us. All right, so uh, Sean, you stand up first. We're going to look at First John. Uh, let's look at First um, John 5, and let's um, look at verses 5 through seven or eight five through eight first john chapter five uh five verses five through eight read that for us who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that jesus is the son of god this is he that this is he that came by water and blood even jesus christ not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Okay, and read eight. That was eight. Okay, good. All right, good. Now. That was verse seven. Yeah, that's the verse seven. Now you read eight. He's reading from King James. I'm making a point here. Okay. And there are three that. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. All right. Thank you very much, sir. And Miss Hoffer, you stand up and read that for us real loud so that the record can pick you up. All right. 1 John 5, verses 5 through 8. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. That's it. All right. Did anybody notice the difference in those two? Yeah. 
the Holy, the Holy Ghost. All right, so in King James, let's look at verse 7 together. Yeah, all of y'all look at your Bible, the King James crowd, I got it open right here, and this is what it says. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That's what yours says too, right? All right, but all of y'all's does not have the Father, the Word, and the Spirit of it. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about the Father, the Word, and the Spirit? What What is the doctrine we're... we're the Trinity. That's exactly right. And every one of us in this room, if you are a Christian, you affirm the doctrine of the Trinity. Even my Catholic friend, Mr. Tony, would definitely agree with me that there is a Trinity, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. All right. Now, if we were to talk to a Jew or a Muslim or a Jehovah Witness, right, or even T.D. Uh, uh, Jakes, they're all Unitarians. All right. They believe that God is one and that the Father is God and that the Son is a form of God, but he's not God. And the Spirit is a form of God, but not God. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because when you look at this King James Version, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. All right, so what it's teaching us here is, is that God is one being, but God is three persons. God is one being, God is three persons. Those three persons being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, what, a, what the Orthodox conservatives, like, for example, uh, one of my good fundamental Baptist brothers, who are my brothers, and I love them very much, and I was raised a fundamental Baptist, would say, uh-huh, don't you see? The King James Bible is the right Bible, and all of these new modern translations are a perversion, and they're trying to hide and steal the doctrine of the Trinity and take it away from you. You see? They're saying they took that verse out because they don't want you to believe in the Trinity. Right, And they it would seem like they would have a legitimate argument. But what does it say next? There are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three are one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, uh, for this is the witness of God. All right, so the point is, is that the reason why the modern translations, you got something you wanted to add? Yeah. Um, so, right, it goes, for there are... Three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, like you're like you're saying. Right. Now, now, Mark, I have a question that pertains to that, that that in particular verse. So, is that saying that that one, the Father, our God, is coming to us? He he is one, but is that saying that he comes to us in these three different forms when we need him? Great question. We're going to answer that tonight. Now, the re I'm glad he's bringing that up because the point I want to try to make tonight is this. In our modern evangelical churches, the doctrine of the Trinity has been lost. Like, we do not have a good grasp of what the Trinity is. So I'm going to pass out a couple of pieces of paper to you that I have. If I, if I can find them. Yeah, here they are. And I want to share with you a couple of things tonight. So when I read those verses to you from the... Uh, uh, the King James Bible, I knew it would cause some confusion because the reality is is that my fundamental brothers would tell you that if you're reading the NIV or NASB or uh, uh, one of the newer modern translations, you're reading a translation that is, is of the devil 
and they're trying to keep you from knowing who the Trinity is. All right. Now, the problem with that is, is that there's a reason behind this. Let me, as you're, as I pass these out to you, um, if you'll go ahead, if you two guys will pass these out, copies of what we're going to be studying tonight. Um, as I pass it, let me give you a quick, brief history. The King James Bible is a translation that comes from something called the Latin Vulgate. All right. Latin Vulgate. What what language do you think the Latin Vulgate was written in? Latin. Yeah, it's not a hard question. I'm not trying to trick anybody. That's exactly right. So the Latin Vulgate is a Bible that the church has used for 1,400 years. All right? For about 1,400 years, up until around the 15, late 1500s, early 1600s, 1611 was when the King James Bible was written. Up till around that time, the church had used the Latin Vulgate. Well, what language is that in? It's in Latin. So what that means is, is that these early church fathers took the writings of the Old Testament. What were the writings of the Old Testament written in? Hebrew, Hebrew good. Hebrew, no, Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, and there was a little Aramaic in it. Okay, so what they did with the Latin Vulgate is they took the language of the Hebrew and put it into what language? Latin. And then they took the Greek and the Aramaic of the New Testament, and what language did they put that in? Latin. Okay? All right. So for 1,400 years, the church used the Latin Vulgate. Well, along comes people like Tinsdale and Wycliffe and all of these reformers that said, no, 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 the people need to be able to read it in their own mother tongue. So the English people should be able to read it in English. The Germans should be able to read it in German. The French should be able to read it in French, in Spanish, in Spanish, Italian, in Italian. None of the people could read Latin. Only about 5% of the people during that time could actually read. I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the reasons why the old churches, the old uh, Catholic churches back in the day had stained glass windows all over them was because those pictures told stories. And the people couldn't read, but they could look at those pictures and they could learn the stories from those pictures. You see? So what happened was they were teaching in Latin. None of the people in the crowd could understand. So you had to have a priest to be able to tell you what it meant. You could see where that could fall into abuse. A matter of fact, when they started changing the Bible into the common languages, um, a lot of people died for doing that. And the argument was this. This is the Bible that we've used for 1,400 years. Why change now? Well, the, the reformer said so that people can understand it. Like, the Bible was written so that the common man could understand it. It's not for the, just the theologians and the doctors of theology. It's for the plowman in the field. You see? And so, the, what they did was, instead of going and translating it from the Latin to Spanish, and the Latin to English, and the Latin to German, they basically threw away the Latin text, and went back to the Hebrew and the Greek text, and translated it into the common languages. Does this make sense? Does everybody follow me so far? Yeah. All right, so think about that. You have a Bible that has gone from Hebrew to Latin, and then if you took and went from Latin to Spanish, you've got, you get three different translations. Right. Well, y'all know what happens when you get a translator in the middle of something. What's going to happen? It's, it's going to lose some of its meaning or some of its emphasis or some of its perspective. And so the goal of the 
modern translators that we have today of the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, all of these modern, the goal is let's get to what the apostles wrote. Let's make sure that what the people are reading are the exact words of what the apostles wrote. And so the goal is to go back to the Hebrew and translate it straight from Hebrew into English and to go straight from uh, uh, Greek to the English language so that you get a Bible that is straight from their mouth, one skip in translation. Now, the reality is that the Holy Spirit preserves the translating of the Bible. Like he's going to make sure, God's going to make sure that his people hear his word. So we don't have to worry about that. There are some bad translations out there. Like the, the message by Eugene Peterson is a terrible Bible. If you have that, you might as well just throw it in the trash. It's not doing you any good. Okay? I'm sure there's one over there. But the point being is, is that the King James Bible says there are three that bear witness. All right? There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And while we're on that, uh, really quickly, let me remind you guys in the bathroom. I just stopped by the bathroom on the way in to teach the class today. And y'all have a sign that says, wash your hands. Germs and Jesus are everywhere. Y'all need to change that. Jesus is not everywhere. Jesus is sitting on the throne by his Father. It is the Holy Spirit who is omnipresent. Are, are you with me? All right. Again, that's Trinitarian theology. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He will come back down here. But even when he comes back down here, he's going to be in a human body. And he's not going to be everywhere at one time. So you could change that sign in the bathroom to say, wash your hand. Because germs and God are everywhere. Or germs and the Holy Spirit are everywhere. And then you would be accurate. But the reality is Jesus is not everywhere. He did send his spirit. The Father and the Son sent the spirit. And the spirit is omnipresent. He's in this room with us today. I'm bringing that point up to show you how our understanding of the Trinity is skewed and a mess. So let's look at that. I got, I got a question for you. Yes. In, in, John, in John it says... In the beginning was the, the was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. He so was in the beginning the word, with God. If the Word is Jesus, right? Yes. That That's Jesus. So if the Word is God and was with God, then how can you... Like, I think that's a pretty bold statement to say, Ronnie, and it's pretty discouraging to some of these people. I think it's too much to say stuff like... like these translations are from the devil, dude. I mean, that's crazy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say that. I, I'm didn't not. Say that. No, no, no. I'm saying there are people out there that think that these translations are from the devil. The message is, is, a, is a heretical. Because I learned reading the New Living Translation. Great. That was and that is, a, that is a great translation. It was the basis for me to. Now, I, I went to the New King James, but to. I don't know. I felt like that was a little discouraging, maybe to the classes when they hear that. It was not intended to be in, intended to be a okay. discouraging, but it was intended to be a warning. There are a couple of bad translations out there. The New Living Translation is a wonderful translation. It puts all of the uh, old measurements in the Bible and the English measurements where we can understand them instead of it being cubits and feet. That's not what I was saying. That, when it comes to the translations, what I'm telling you is there are people out there that will tell you that all of these translations that you guys are reading are heretical because they're not coming from the King James. What they're saying is the King James Bible is the only translation that's the proper translation of God. I believe that. Okay? That's what the point being is that there are people out there that believe one translation and that's it. Yeah. 
the reality is is that God does protect his translation. But the goal of the translator is to go from the Hebrew and the Greek into the mod, into whatever language it is that you speak. Okay, I was never, I never ever said that the, those translations are heretical. Did any? I'm sorry if you heard it that way because that was not the way it was intended. Did that, that, is that what it sounded like I was saying? I thought you said that. No, I said there are people out there, right wing fundamental King James onlyists, that will tell you. That if you're reading anything other than the King James Bible, you're reading a heretical translation. Yeah. I love all of the translations. I'm reading the NIV Anglican, the English, the English United Kingdom version this year for my read through the Bible. Mm-hmm. I read through a different translation every year. That way, if you ask me if I've ever read it, I can say yes. So I love all of the translations. There are a couple of bad translations out there. Eugene Peterson's The Message being one of them. The New Living Translation is a beautiful translation. NIV, beautiful translation. Now, there are some of the NIV translations, some of the newer and more modern ones that are getting gender neutral, and those are dangerous, all right? That's, a, that's, a, that's some really scary ground to be treading on. But that is not what I was saying. Okay. All right. Are we clear on that? Which one? Sir, if, if I say something that is heretical or wrong, you have all of the right in the world to stand up and speak just like you spoke. Okay. okay? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would rather you call me to the table if I said I teach something that's not scriptural. Yep. Which one you said is getting gender neutral? Uh, it's like the NIV 2011, maybe some. In it, you'll see that they just take out the hims and the hers and and make everything gender neutral. All right, so we're getting off point. Um, who's got? Let me let me share with you first of all the um the prayer. This prayer is coming from something. Did we run out of copies? Okay, I think I have one on my phone. I think I got one on my iPad here. Let me see. Uh, yeah, I have one here. I have. I'm good. All right, so let's look at this prayer. This is coming from a Puritan back in the 1600s. It's coming from a book called The Valley of Visions. I did not write this prayer. This is not my writing. This is a Puritan that wrote this a long time ago. I did bring it up in the, I took all the thous and these out and put it in the these and thous and put you and yours in there. Mm-hmm. Right? But listen to what this says. The Trinity, the three in one, one in three, God of my salvation. This is a prayer that this Puritan prayed. Listen to how he prays. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit. I adore you as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons for bringing sinners to your knowledge and to your kingdom. Oh, Father, you have loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. Oh, Jesus, you have loved me and assumed my nature, shed your own blood to wash away my sins, wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, you have loved me and entered my heart, implanted their eternal life, and revealed to me these glories of Jesus. Three persons and one God, I bless and praise thee. For love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty, to save the lost and to raise them to glory. O Father, I thank you that in the fullness of grace, You have given me to Jesus to be his sheep, jewel, and portion. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jesus, I thank you that in the fullness of grace, you have accepted, espoused, and bound me. 
Oh, Holy Spirit, I thank you that in the fullness of grace, you have exhibited Jesus as my salvation, implanted faith within me, subdued my stubborn heart, and made me one with him forever. Oh, Father, you are enthroned to hear my prayers. Oh, Jesus, your hand is outstretched to take my petitions. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are willing to help my infirmities, to show me my need, to supply words, to pray within me, to strengthen me that I faint not in supplication. Oh, triune God who commands the universe, you have commanded me to ask for things that concern your kingdom and my soul. Let me live and pray as one baptized into your threefold name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, do you see what this person's prayer does? It addresses all three persons of the Trinity. God is one being. He is three persons. And each of the persons in the Trinity carries out a different role. So if I make a prayer today, I say, oh, God, my heavenly father, thank you for dying on the cross to save me from my sins. What have I done? I see. This, this, this is where I'm, I, 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 I need to ask that question again. OK, I think I'm thinking what you. All right. I'll, I'll ask it again. Here's my prayer. Oh, father, thank you for dying on the cross to save me from my sins. So now what you asking? Yeah. What is there anything wrong with that? Yeah. Okay, good. The father did not die on the cross to save me from my sins. He did send his son to die on the cross to save me from. So in that prayer, what I have done is I have distorted the distinction between the persons of the Trinity. So you don't you don't pray to Jesus. You, you can pray to God the Father, you can pray to God the Son, and you can pray to God the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you're praying to God. You're praying to God. But as we grow in our understanding of the persons of the Trinity, our prayer life can become more clear and distinct. Let's, let's go back and look at this passage again. Let's look at... Um, uh, oh, Father, this is the second pair. Oh, Father, you have loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. So what did the Father do? He sent the Son to die to claim us. All right. Oh, Jesus, you have loved me and assumed my nature. Somebody quoted John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Then John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So look at that passage again. Oh, Jesus, you have loved me and assumed my nature. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He assumed our nature. He was clothed in humanity. Remember, angels don't bleed. So the Holy Spirit did not pour out his blood on the cross to save you. Jesus did. So you could say God poured out his blood on the cross to save me, and you would be accurate. Because Jesus is, the word was God, with God, and the word was God. Yes, sir. Um, maybe I'm off topic, but it was something you said earlier about um, Jesus not being everywhere. Yes. It kind of, kind of threw me off a little bit. Um, 
Only because we are taught that, you know, never to take your eyes off of Jesus, especially when you're going through something. Right. Do you see him in this room right now? No. Okay, so open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Is that actually talking about your physical eyes that you see with? No. So how do you see Jesus now, right now today? Spiritually. You see him physically? Spiritually. Spiritually, that's exactly right. By faith. Faith is the everything hoped for, the substance of things not seen. So you were just talking about in the physical sense, like Jesus and germs aren't right. Yes. The Spirit of God is omnipresent. But Jesus is not omnipresent. He is God. So if three and one, then why aren't they? Huh? If, there, if it's three and one and one and three. All right. Let's, so we're going to go, let's, go to a couple of passages in a minute that kind of answer that. But each different person in the Trinity carries out distinct roles. Yeah. Uh, that's understood. So why should I not? So why can't that? See, that's what's messing me up. Why is it messing you up? Because I feel as though that, and I believe that, you know, Three is one and one is three, but like give like give give like a prompt to do like give like give their due to whoever did it. So if it's God, I'm not I, I don't want to pray to Jesus and, and I'm supposed to be praying to God, but I want to thank Jesus. You know what I mean? I, it's just, okay, all right, hold up. Like, yeah, listen, that's I, me up. It should I, mess you up, but listen to what you just said. I don't want to pray to. Jesus, when I should be praying to God, that's what you said. Right. Well, what's the problem with that? Jesus is God. If you're praying to Jesus, you're praying to God. Yeah, but it just seems. So you, if you're praying to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus, or to the Father, you are praying to God. God. Will they all receive your prayers? Yes. (laughs) They will all receive your prayers. But watch this. How do we pray? The Bible teaches us that we pray through the Holy Holy Spirit. And then who intercedes for us? Jesus. Jesus. And who do the prayers eventually go to? The Father. That's exactly right. So one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be our intercessor. Right? To be our comforter. You see? One of the roles of Jesus as our high priest is to intercede for us. To intercede for us with the Father. To go before the Father with our pleas. So all three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. And you can pray to all of them. But when it comes to dying on the cross, you can't say the Father died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. That's exactly right. That's the point I'm making. And the point I'm making about the sign in the bathroom is, is Jesus, the Word made flesh, died on a cross. They buried him in the grave. Was he flesh when they buried him in the grave? Yes. When he arose from the grave, was he flesh? Yes. You better believe it. But he had the Holy Spirit with him because those three agree in one. <clears throat> but when he went to heaven, was he flesh? No. No. That was the Holy Spirit. Yes. When Jesus ascended uh, Jesus in Jesus went into heaven. He, yeah. he when you ascend into heaven, are you going to ascend into heaven in the flesh? Okay. I'm glad y'all I, I want y'all to think this out. When you you are going to be raised in the same fashion that Jesus was raised. On the last day, we talked about this last time we were together. We talked about the resurrection. What happens? Where is your spirit immediately when you die? We talked about this last class. You're going up in our bodies. You, no, when you first die, when you first die, where does your body go? Ground. Where does your spirit go? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. All right. Now, 
on the last judgment day, when Jesus comes down to judge the world, what's going to happen? All of those that are dead in the grave are going to rise, and then those that are of, of us that are alive and remain will be raised with them. Right? And then we will be raised together in His likeness. In our glorified bodies. Alright? So when Jesus ascended into heaven, did He ascend to heaven in a fleshly body? Yes. And if you don't say yes... You are, you are, you're stepping into heresy. Jesus died and shed his blood on the cross in the flesh. They buried him in the grave in the flesh. And the same way that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 how we're going to be raised is the same way that Jesus was raised and went up into heaven. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first one to do it. And one day we'll all follow behind him. All right? So... When I look at the sign in the bathroom and says Jesus and germs are everywhere, the problem with that is Jesus is sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven right now on the throne. His spirit is here and omnipresent with us. That's probably what it means, though, the bathroom sign. No, it says Jesus. So the point I was making was... Right, so what what the sign in the bathroom should say is this. What, What the bathroom sign should say is... The spirit or the spirit or God are everywhere. It just says say your prayers. Jesus is everywhere. Right. So would I be accurate to say this? God is everywhere. Yes. Yes. Would I be accurate to say the spirit is everywhere? Yes. Yes. But Jesus is everywhere too because he is God. He is the spirit. But there are three persons, right? There are three persons and they are of the same essence. But Jesus is in a physical body right now. There's no way that he can be everywhere. That's the argument that the Protestants have with the Catholics when it comes to Mass. Because when they give Mass, when they say abracadabra, hocus pocus, it, it's not hocus pocus, but it's horum quorum. There's a formula that the priest says, and when he says those magic words, that bread actually turns into the physical body of Jesus. That's what the Catholics believe. All right? The argument with the Protestants is, is Jesus is in heaven. His flesh is not here on the earth. That's the whole argument. That's one of the reasons the Protestant and the Catholics butt heads. Because we know that by one sacrifice, he is perfected forever all those who are in Christ. The mass is another sacrifice of Jesus' body. Every time they have a mass, they, they have another sacrifice, you see? And so the argument is, is that his flesh is not here on the earth anymore. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the quick and the dead. So where is Jesus right now? He's sitting on the throne next to his father. So what's his body at? <laughs> he's sitting on the throne next no, to his father. Where the Protestants think they put his body at? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Okay. It's physical form. Right? And, so the, and listen, my Catholic friends... My Catholic friends say the Apostles' Creed, and they say he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But they, there's a paradox in their theology when they say he's sitting next to the Father in heaven, and he's also physically hearing this bread. Oh, so where does the Catholics think their body is? His body is? In heaven, and when the priest says horum quorum in the bread, that bread actually physically turns into the Blood, uh, the flesh of Jesus. So is he the only physical body in heaven? Like, is he the only body in everything? Uh, great question. What would the Bible say about that? Not what I feel, but what would the Bible say? Where's Elijah right now? Where's Moses right now? 
So there are a few, uh, Elijah and Enoch. Where's Enoch? Yeah, he'd have to be in heaven too. Huh? Yeah, in a sense. All right. So let's get back to the point I'm making here with this text. The Trinity is confusing because God is one being and three persons. You are one being and one person. You're just one person. All right. Now, the moment that you try to bring God down to a perspective that you can understand and grasp is the moment that you skew the reality of who he is. How many of y'all know what the word holy means? What does it mean to be holy? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What does it mean to say someone's holy? That God is holy? Without sin. He's pure. Huh? He is without sin. Set apart for God, belonging to God, pure, godly. Pure. Okay, that's for the saint us as being holy. The word, the term holy means other than. That's what it means. God is holy. Holy, holy. He's completely different than us. Now, we were created in his image, but he is completely different than us. And when we try to box him in, when we try to bring him down to the level of creation, we are taking away from his his being as creator. So let me give you an example of this. This this term is known as modalism. It's a heresy that's been around for ages. But this this term modalism, it means that God comes to us in different modes. Okay? And so this is what I mean by that. Your name was Sean? Was it Sean? Okay, so Sean, God, the Trinity is kind of like, this this is not, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is heresy. The Trinity, Sean is kind of like the Trinity. He's kind of like God because Sean is a son. Are you a son? Do you have kids? No. Oh, I need somebody who's got kids. Who's got kids? All right. What was your name again? Anthony. Anthony. So Anthony is a son. Are you not? You are a father, and you have a spirit. That's the Trinity. He's a father, he's a son, and he's a spirit, but he's one being. The problem with that is I have tried to take God and bring him down and fit him into an understanding of who Anthony is. I've taken a concept that is beyond our grasp and beyond our understanding and tried to put God into a box. You see how that works? You try to make it a metaphor, but it really took away from the actual meaning of it. Good. That's exactly right. So the moment that I say God is like, I am detracting from his holiness. Because the word holy means otherly, unlike anything else. And so the moment that I try to say God is like, God is like water. He can be ice and he can be steam and he can be liquid. That's called modalism. And it's a heresy that's been in the church forever. All right. And so when you think about the Trinity, I want us to go and look at a couple of passages. Um, So that was the that was the prayer. We got about 10 minutes left. So let me see this. Where's that other page? I think there is an actual. Yeah, let me see that. All right, so let's look at this. This is just one paragraph from something called the London Baptist Confession. I've, I've tried to familiarize you guys with this. It says, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, now that sounds complicated, but is that true? They're in the divine 
an infinite being, infinite means immeasurable, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. All right, so there, there, actually one of the things that the um, Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church split on back when the church split. Y'all remember the great schism in your world history classes? The church split, and one group went to Constantinople and one group went to Rome. One of the greatest arguments in that split in the church was the Greeks say that uh, Jesus, uh, that the Holy Spirit only proceeds from the Father, and the Roman church says that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, that it's both Jesus and the Father that give the Spirit. The Greek Orthodox say it's only the Father that gives the Spirit. And that was one of the arguments and things that they butted heads over. So you can understand why even for these great theologians, these great uh, teachers of the church back in the day, they used to argue all the time. And one of the first heresies that came about, one of the reasons for the Nicene Creed in 325, one of the reasons for that was a guy named Arius came along and said that Jesus is like God, but he's not God. He's not of the same essence as God. The word essa in Latin is being, okay? Essa, E-S-S-E. So, one being. The Father and the Son are one being. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one being. They are three persons. Well, this guy named Arius comes along and said, no, no, no. Jesus is begotten of the Father. That means that he is not of the same essence of the Father. And the church had this great big council called the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. where they sat down and they got the Bible and they argued for months on end until they came up with this creedal statement to say that God is of one essence. All right? there's, a, there's actually a really cool tradition that happened during the Nicaea, Council of Nicaea that a guy named St. Nicholas, y'all ever hear of that guy? That's Santa Claus, by the way. Yeah. All right, Santa Claus in Dutch or wherever he was originally from. But in, um, they got into a big argument, and Arius, the heretic, was standing up there teaching all of the people what he was teaching. And the, the legend goes that St. Nicholas got up and punched him in the mouth right in the middle of the whole council of Nicaea. So that's a, yeah, that's, a, that's a Santa Claus that I could definitely stand behind, right? Wanted to go up and punch a heretic in the mouth during a council. But the, the point being is, is that they were arguing over one letter in the Greek. The difference between homoousius and homoiousius. One meaning of a like substance and one meaning of the same substance. What is the proper definition of Jesus? He is of the same essence of the Father. Deity. Not a like essence, but of the same essence, the same being as the Father. And so you can understand 
In the same way that you and I get confused just thinking about it here in a little local class, like imagine when you get out in the street the things that different people think about. Imagine in your own prayers. I've, and I've prayed this before. God, thank you for dying on the cross and saving me from my sin. Or Father, it would be proper for me to pray, God, thank you for dying on the cross and saving me from my sin. But there's been times in my life where I've actually prayed, Father, thank you for dying on the cross and saving me. And the intent was right. And thankfully, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me interceding in my prayers to the Father so that it got corrected on the way up. But my prayer showed that I was messing up the distinctions between the three uh, persons of the Trinity. And by growing in our understanding of it, we can see how important it is. So, so let's let's look at a passage, uh, a couple of passages of Scripture. Um, let me see. Let's go to. Uh, let's look at that Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen passage. Second Corinthians thirteen forty. So, when you when you think about this, I don't want it to be confusing. I want you to take these passages of scripture and dig in and see what the Bible says about it, and just let the Bible teach you what it says, and believe what the Bible says. You don't have it doesn't have to be confusing. The confusion comes when we try to fit God into our understanding, like when we try to to make Him like us. He created us in His image, and in our fallen nature, we're constantly turning around and trying to make Him like us. Yes. Second uh, Corinthians, uh, thirteen fourteen. And what is it? Somebody got that for us? Yeah. All right. What's it say? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All right. You see what Paul did there? What did Paul do? He separated all three of them. He named all three of them together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He made made sure that there was a clear distinction there. Now, when we go back to that 1 John passage and the people uh, that are claiming that the new translators are trying to take the Trinity out of the Bible so that you can't know it, the reality is the entire Bible teaches us the Trinity. Let's go all the way back to the book, book of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. All right, y'all there? All right, it says, In the beginning, God. All right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and a darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the what? Spirit. spirit. Is that capitalized in your Bible? It should be. Yes. So what spirit is that? The Holy Spirit, the Holy spirit uh, of God was hovering over the surface of water. And then God said, let there be light. light. Jesus said, I am the light. light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Now, remember, when he says, let there be light, he wasn't creating the sun because the sun, the moon, and the stars are going to be created about three days later. So he was creating the sun. Huh? No, the sun is not created. He's begotten. Yeah, he can't be created. If he's created, that means he's a part of the creation. All right, watch. Let there be light. Now watch this. And then God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Verse 6. Then God said, verse uh, 8. God called, verse 9. Then God said, uh, verse 10. And God called. And then verse 11. Then God said. And and then it says in... uh, Verse uh, 14, then God said. And then verse uh, 
right, y'all are getting the point? Now, what do you do when you say something? What do you use to say something? Word. God spoke things into existence. What did He speak them into existence with? His Word. So, look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Well, who's he talking about? The Spirit. He ain't said nothing about Jesus yet. In our image, in our life. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Right? Now, there's not an echo in the room. Some people do think that. Yes, that's a good point. Some people do think that. What? uh, that, That he's talking to the angels. But the angels didn't create anything. He said, let us make man in our image. When Jesus came and was born of a woman, what image was he in? Uh, when Jesus came and was born of a woman, what, did, what image did he come as? A man. A, man. a man. God created us in his image. When Jesus came and clothed himself in human flesh, we, you and I, are different than all the animals and all of the angels because we carry the Omega Dei, the image of God. We were created in the image of God. There's a big difference. I just had a I had a guy at my church the other day talking about his precious little grandchildren, and they were precious. They're precious little kids. They were taking up off another day. And he said, "Aren't they little angels?" And I said, "No, actually, they're not." I said that right. And I said, and I said that from the pulpit, and I wasn't meaning it in an insulting way. And so the next Sunday school class we had, I this one of my deacons, and I love the guy. He's a sweetheart. And I told him at the next deacon me or the next Sunday school class, I said the other day when I said from the pulpit, no, they are not angels. I said I want you to know that I meant that in all sincerity. Jesus did not die and pour his blood out to save angels. He died to save your granddaughter. He died to save those created in his image, his image bearers. Are you with me? Like we are the only things in the all of creation that carry the Imago Dei. Now that image has been marred by sin and we're not what we're supposed to be. That carry the what? The image of God. Imago Dei. It's Latin for image, Imago, and Deo. God, the image of God. All right, you were created in the image of God, and that makes you special. Jesus died on the cross to save his image bearers. Right? We talked about this last time when we were talking about resurrection. Remember, I got somebody mad because I told her the dog wasn't going to be in heaven. He ain't waiting. At, your dog ain't waiting at the Rainbow Bridge for you, right? <clears throat> well, the reality is that if your dog is at the Rainbow Bridge, so is every cow of every hamburger that I've ever eaten. They're going to be waiting at the Rainbow Bridge too. And I just I don't I don't see that happening. All right, so now we're way down in a rabbit hole. All right, so let's look at a couple more passages together really quickly. Um, let's look at... What do you think God meant when he said, let's make, uh, let us make them in our image? The Holy Spirit was allowing you through the writings of Moses to be on a, a fly on the wall in the, uh, the pagan, the the solemn pact between the trinity of the created order like this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it it was like an inner dialogue between the father the son and the holy spirit and you're being allowed to listen in on that 
let us make man in our image. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. God said, let there be light. It was the workings of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the created order. And they, and Moses and the Holy Spirit and his writings are allowing you to hear in on that, like to listen in on that. Let us make man in our image. Yes? So I was just reading this. I just, um, I, I literally just finished the book of Genesis, and this was something that uh, really confused me. So it says, God made male and female, but then it goes to the Garden of Eden, where it says he made... Um, he made the two in the garden, and then he took the rib out of one, and then he made the other one. So did he make the male and female before he made those two? The first. Because so that those were the first two. And then they gave birth to Moses, and then, or something like that. They gave birth, they didn't give birth. Or something, my bad. Eve didn't come from birth. She came from out of Adam's rib. Yes. All right, so in the Genesis 1 account, what you're getting is a flyover, a big picture of the creation. Then Genesis 3 uh, Genesis 2 and 3 narrows down into the garden and shows you a closer view of him oh, creating wow. Adam. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, it's, okay. it's kind of like um, when the movies, when they start from the outside of the town and then they come down into town and then you land right, right into like the sand. That's what the Holy Spirit is okay. bringing you into it. He's allowing you to see it from a big perspective and then he's bringing it down and showing you it in, a, in smaller detail. That makes sense. Okay. All right. Uh, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And we're going to finish with this tonight. I'll be back. I think it's next Friday, and we'll we'll see see about. I want you to write your questions down. Um, and again, um, I I don't want any of y'all to ever think, um, especially your counselors and the people who run this place. Yeah, if there's an overseer here, and I'm if I ever teach you anything that's not in the scripture, you have all the right in the world to stop me in the middle of class and bring up just what you did, right? I I. Please, as a matter of fact, I've been in some classes where I, I sat here and was hoping that one of y'all would step in and say something to some people at times before. Because we need to be teaching what the scripture says. And the moment that we get into I feel or I think, we're getting away from thus saith the Lord. And we need to be careful about that. So you have all the right, but I would never say that all the translations are radical. I love them. I love all the different translations. All right, let's look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. All right, now, anybody that tells you that uh, the Bible teach it, does not teach that Jesus is God, one of the clearest declarations of Jesus' deity is him receiving worship from his followers. Why do I say that? People fall at his feet all of the time. And what does he do? No. What does he do? When people fall at Jesus' feet, what does he do? He receives their worship. Remember when the girl was crying and, and poured the perfume on his feet? Did he say, get up from there, don't do that? No. He let her. He let her worship him. Now, when the angels come to people and they get people get scared, oh, and they fall over, what do the angels say? Don't worship. Don't worship. Get up. I'm I'm a created being just like you. Don't worship me. The only person worthy of our worship is who? God. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can you worship the Holy Spirit? Yes. Can you worship the Father? Yes. Can you worship the Son? Yes. And so one of the clearest declarations that people forget to bring up about the fact that the they say, oh, the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is God. Jesus is a Jew, and Jesus is actually the one who gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountaintop. Right? And he, the first commandment says what? The Lord your God is one God. You shall have no other 
gods before him. You shall not bow down and worship any false gods. So Jesus is Jewish. He knows the commandments because he's the one they gave him to Moses. And when somebody falls down at his feet and begins to worship him and he receives their worship, what is he claiming? That he's God. One of the clearest declarations in the Bible of Jesus' deity is that he receives people worship. The angels say, get up, don't worship me. But Jesus receives our worship. Okay? But it says this. It said, and when uh, the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. All right, that's going to happen in every crowd. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I command you, and even behold, and you, and behold, I am with you even to the ends of the age. Alright, there's only two ages in the Bible, this age and the age to come. Alright, there's only two ages. But that's beside the point. I want you to tell me how that's showing me the Trinity. How is that showing me that state? Look at verse uh, 19, verse 19 and tell me how that is teaching that God is one being and three persons. Okay. God is one being. He is three persons. How is that statement of verse 19 showing me that fact? Baptizing them in the name of uh, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The name, uh, name. of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. If there were three separate beings, what would it say? God. Baptizing in them in the what? The names. names. Would be plural. Good. Good. You see how that works? Yeah. Baptize them in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, some of y'all may go to a holiness church, and a, a lot of the holiness churches are Unitarian. Like they, don't, they, they distort the distinction between the Trinity, and they will only baptize people in the name of Jesus. Some of the holiness crowds will only baptize in the name of Jesus. We all baptize you in the name of Jesus. Okay? The problem is, is that the Great Commission says, baptize them in the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name, three persons. God is one person of being, and He is three persons. All right. I hope that that does not cause too much confusion. Uh, you do have the uh, Bible verses, that, some of the Bible verses we discussed, and some of them that we did not discuss tonight here in the footnotes. I would love for you to take that prayer and read over it a couple times and clarify for yourself the distinctions that the person that wrote that prayer is making between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into it and see what are the roles that the Holy Spirit does, what are the roles that the Father does, and what are the roles that the Son do. Take some time and meditate on that on your own. And then take this statement here and get these Bible verses and go through and see see what they're talking about. Again, the Trinity is one of the most misunderstood concepts in all of Christianity. And it's blurred. And we're all confused about it. Thank you for teaching on it.
Oh, you're welcome. And and so next Friday, I'll come back. We'll look at this again. I'll bring a couple more passages of Scripture. So to end, I'll end with this. We started the class by saying that it looks like the king. Uh, looks like the newer translations have taken the Trinity, trying to steal that away so that you can't know it. You see what I'm saying? But the reality is, and the point I was trying to make is, is that starting in Genesis all the way through the Scriptures, the Trinity is declared. Now, the only way that we truly understand and have the Trinity manifested to us as believers is is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because before Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, before he was clothed and flesh and dwelt among us, that mystery was mystery. It was veiled. But in his coming in the flesh, now the Trinity has been revealed to us. We know there is the Father, and we know that the Spirit hovered over the womb of Mary, and now we know the Son because he was born of the Virgin. So all through the Bible, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity is being taught, but it is most clearly revealed in who? In Jesus and the Son. Amen. Father, thank you for this time we've had together tonight. Thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son to save us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son, for sending your Holy Spirit to convict us of these things. I do pray that you will put it on our hearts to know you more clearly and to know you better and to know you more biblically. Uh, And Holy Spirit, we desperately need you to help us to do that. So please be with us in the coming days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.